friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project is to work eventually through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, taking alternate books from the Old and the New Testament as we progress. I'd like just to point out that it will be here for the first time. I always put a transcript of what is said and make it available through the episode notes of any audio version of the podcast. Through there, there'll be a link, not only to ways to connect to me, uh, to connect to the ministries, but also to access that transcript. The text of what I say and these videos and the words of what I say, I put them out there in the public domain for you to use them and do with them what you wish. I hope they're helpful for you and to other people. A credit for the podcast is appreciated, but it's not necessary. I'm more than happy for you to take them and use them to create your own resources or help you in any way in your particular journey. So today, we're launching straight off into our second part of Genesis chapter 35. So we'll drop straight into the text here and hopefully I'll just catch up with you again at the end. So bye for now. Hi friends, here we are back again and we're in part two of this uh, section looking at Genesis chapter 35, which we have entitled our overview of this chapter, The Ups and Downs of Life. So I'd just like to recap for us where we got up to and where Jacob is at at this moment. Remember, God appeared to him and spoke to him and he sent him, he called him on a journey, telling him that it was time for him to return to Bethel. Now, during his time away and since he got home, There's no question at all, he's been quite the scoundrel. He hasn't done all the things that he was supposed to do. And a matter of fact, he's done lots of things that he was not supposed to do. Lord reminds him here and says, I made a promise to you. And as I'm the Lord, I'm going to keep that promise. So woven into the story so far is repeatedly is this motif of the faithfulness of God in spite of the circumstances or the actions of Jacob's life. Jacob himself was seen to declare when we read through the text last time that the Lord has always been with me, he says. He's been with me in my distress, he says, and he has always answered my prayers. And then the text tells us in verse 16 that they journeyed on from Bethel. So this is the second phase of this story, which I said last time is a bit of a travelogue. It's going to follow Jacob around as he journeys to different places with different things happening. So we'll just pick up the text again in chapter 35, reading from verses 16 to 18, which tells us this. Then they moved on from Bethel, where there was still some distance. While they were still some distance from Ephra, Rachel gave birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, The midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. And as she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named the son Benoni, but his father renamed him Benjamin. Now we're leaving Bethel, where they've just travelled to for a short stop, but then they have to stop again because Rachel goes into labour. Now actually the text will indicate later that they are leaving Bethel 
in order to go and see his father uh, Isaac because he's not seen him for many years. So they're actually en route to going back to be reunited with Isaac again. But on the way, Rachel, who is expecting, goes into labour and it is obviously a very difficult labour, so difficult in fact that we find out she dies in the process. Verse 19 then tells us, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrah, that is Bethlehem. Over the tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. So she gives birth to a child. She gives the child a name, which actually means the son of my sorrow, because it was such a hard labour. Can you imagine being named that all your life, walking around with a moniker that reminded you that your birth caused the death of your mother? So Jacob maybe quite naturally changes his name to Benjamin, which honours the original tent of the first name, but actually means the son of my right hand. Much more appropriate, I think you'll agree. So I think what we have here, well, clearly what we have here from Jacob's point of view is a very mixed set of events, isn't it? He gains a son, but at the same time, uh, his wife dies. The birth of the son would, of course, be a great joy ordinarily. Now, remember, he had other wives, that Rachel was his favourite wife. In fact, Jacob loved Rachel the most. Back in chapter 29, we were told that the wives had some problems with each other exactly because of the fact that he was said to have loved Rachel uh, more than Leah and that the Bible is very clear and says it in those exact terms. So at this point in the story, Rachel has a son, which by the way she prayed for and wanted to have, and just after the son is born, she dies. The text tells us in verse 19 that she dies, and verse 20 tells us that Jacob set up, put up a pillar beside her grave to mark it. Now, this book of Genesis was written approximately 400 years after Rachel died. Moses wrote this about 400 years later, so this obviously suggests that if you went to Bethlehem at that time, 400 years later, you could still see the tombstone to that day. Now, what strikes me as I read through this narrative is the fact that Jacob has the greatest joy and perhaps the greatest sadness in his life all at the same time. I mean, what greater joy is there normally than the birth of a child? It is one of the great high points of life, isn't it? Especially if you've been praying and praying in this case for one and praying particularly in this case for a son. And I can think of nothing sadder on the other side of the coin, nothing sadder than to lose the one person that you love in your life more than anyone else. Jacob clearly loved Rachel, but she dies, and yet he gets another son at the same time. The Bible, in fact, tells us elsewhere that we weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And this is clearly life in all its ups and downs, isn't it? I mean, it's all there in this chapter, I know I'm probably labouring this point, but I think that's an important message of this passage. The fact that he gets blessed one minute and has tragedy the next. I think that's the main point behind the story of this passage. Okay, let's pick up the text again in verse 21. 
Israel, that's Jacob of course, moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal, Eder. Whilst Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Now we've encountered stuff like this before, haven't we? Troubling, isn't it? But wait till we get to the book of Judges in a few months, it's going to get even worse. But imagine having your own son commit adultery with your wife. In that day, doing that was a sign that he was trying to take the place of his father. Children sometimes would even kill their fathers and then take on their wives and sleep with their wives, take over all the family resources, if you like. So the next thing he hears, uh, Jacob hears, is that his son has committed adultery with one of his wives. And you can only just imagine the heartache that was going on in his life at this time. What a betrayal that would be. Not just the violation of his wife, but the breach of trust that was involved in doing that also. Now, nothing appears to be said at this point, but don't pick up the wrong message from that, because stay tuned, because when we get towards the end of this book of Genesis, something will be said about it, and there will be serious consequences for Reuben. It's just not addressed in the narrative here. So this will, in fact, turn out to be very bad news for Reuben, very bad indeed. But moving on in the text, the next verse gives us the final list of Jacob's sons, and it tells us, Jacob had 12 sons. The sons of Leah were Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's servant, Bela, Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Leah's servant, Zilpha, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Abraham who were born to him in Padanera. So verse 27 concludes the narrative text of this chapter. So we see this final position of the family and the generations of, uh, of Israel, Jacob, and how they're apportioned among the four wives. But we'll just quickly conclude the narrative of this chapter where it says, Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years, then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So finally, Jacob arrives at his father's house in Mamre, which helpfully we're told is another name for Hebron, and this is located south of Jerusalem. This has to be or should have been one of the outstanding moments in his life. He's been gone for 30 years. He was out of the land for 20 years, and he's been back in the land of Canaan for, for 10 years, but he hasn't seen his father yet. And then finally, after 10 years back in the land, he gets to meet his father again, and that promise that he, that would happen is fulfilled. This has to be a moment of great joy and celebration. He has been reunited to his father from whom he was separated for 30 years. And the passage then closes us by telling us Isaac breathed his last and died, and that Jacob and his brother buried him. Get this, the great reunion is in verse 27, and by verse 28, 
Isaac, his father, is dead. Now, we don't know the length of time they were together, but the text kind of suggests to me that it wasn't very long. So again, there is great joy in one verse and then great sadness in the next. And the text describes it as he was gathered to his people. That's an interesting little phrase. It's the Old Testament way of saying that someone has died and that they've gone to be with Abraham and his forefathers. We today would say someone has gone to heaven or they've gone to be with the Lord. And the Old Testament way of expressing that same sentiment is to say someone was gathered to his people, gathered to their people. Now, the New Testament teaches us the same thing. In fact, it tells us that when we die, we too will be united with the Lord and with all the believers that have gone before us who are in heaven which of course should be a great encouragement to those of us who have family members who share our faith. So that's what the passage is trying to say. The last sentence in this chapter says that he was buried and that his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Again, that's joy and sorrow at the same time. These brothers are both grieving the loss of the father, but we've got to remember the backstory here. Remember what happened between these two brothers. Jacob had deceived Esau uh, to get his blessing, to steal it from him, in fact. But let me say it again, because it's important. Jacob actually robbed Isaac of his inheritance. But here, 30 years later, and they're reconciled. So they're reconciled and they come together as a family. But it's also a sad day because they come together as a family and very soon together as a family, they bury their father. As I read this passage, I can't help but be struck by the fact that one day we seem to be on the mountaintop and the next day we're in the valley. I'd sum it up in this, this whole chapter, in fact, by saying that Jacob returned to, to Bethel, yes, to fulfill the vow, and on the way, when he stopped, God visited him, reassured him of his promises, which must have been an incredible comfort. And he has another son, which is remarkable, an occasion for joy, but then he sees his wife die, Rachel die at the same time, his beloved wife, Rachel. And then he meets with his father, which is a great joy, because to meet with him before he passes from this world, but then very soon after that, he dies. So great joy, great comfort and uh, on one hand, and great sadness on the other. But also along the way, throughout this journey, Jacob has been reassured of God's promises and God has reminded him of those promises, even the big one that he's going to give him this land. Nothing of the bad stuff that he has done in his life is going to change that. God says, in fact says, I'm going to throw in another extra sign, being that you're going to see your father before he dies, an extra blessing. All these things are great blessings promised to him. But in the midst of living out and actually seeing these blessings fulfilled and Jacob experiencing spiritual growth, he also experiences great sorrow. In fact, in this chapter, he experiences the death of the three people who are closest to him. His nanny, his dearly beloved wife, and his father on top of that as well. He also has to witness this absolutely abominable sin of one of his sons rebelling against him and committing adultery with one of his wives. 
So in the course of 29 verses in one chapter, we have all of this. We have great blessing and events that cause great trouble and great grief for him also. So I want to conclude our overview of this chapter by making a couple of observations. And that is, life is filled with celebrations and joy, as well as funerals and failures. As Christians, we are not exempt from the downturns of life. Christians can get sick, Christians can die, Christians can have trouble at home, Christians can have trouble at work. Christians will experience loss of loved ones. And furthermore, importantly, none of us are perfect. We can experience our own personal moral failures. And one of the things that we need to know is that although life can be filled with failures and even funerals, there were three funerals in this one chapter after all, it is a fact of life that we're going to have to face difficult times and failure. And if you live long life and you have a live a long loving life, you're going to have a lot of funerals in your life. Don't kid yourselves. Sometimes we have to look at situations and recognize that they're not good. But through it all, this chapter teaches me that we can still say, we still should say that God is faithful. God is faithful. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I think bleeds through these verses in this portion of the Bible is how God is always faithful to keep his promises. And particularly in this narrative, we see it to Jacob. He keeps answering his prayers and he keeps blessing Jacob. And a big part of this passage is God repeating those promises, the promises that he originally made to Abraham and Isaac, and proving his faithfulness. But proving his faithfulness does not depend on what he does, just as it not, does not depend on what we do or do not go, do. God's faithfulness depends only on one thing, his faithfulness to his own promises. And one of the things you can put in there, in God's word, it says that he is, one of the promises he's made to us is that he's promised us eternal life through his son Jesus, who died for us and rose from the dead. And God also promises us today that if we trust in his son, he will give us too the gift of eternal life. I get asked the question all the time. In fact, it came up just last week at a local house group that I belong to. Someone said, if I'm going to heaven and it doesn't depend on what I do, what does it depend on? And the answer is, it depends on what Jesus did, not what you do, have done, right? It doesn't depend on what we do. It all depends on what Jesus did. Here's the bottom line. Here's what this is templating for us. God always remains faithful to his promises. So for us today, his promises of eternal life, no matter what goes on in our life, God will still keep his promise. So we can experience failure, sometimes even our own personal moral failure, but God will still be faithful as long as we seek his face. So we experience failure sometimes, but God is always faithful. In this chapter, there are three sad deaths that mark the end of an era, but even though that era is over, the promises continue. The promises continue through Jacob and through Jacob's family line.
Now there was a sin in this situation that would ruin an inheritance, and we'll get to that later, but it still could not nullify the blessings of God or his full plan of salvation. God ensures that his promises would be kept, and they were kept. And he, as he went along, as a sort of encouragement, he confirms those promises to the recipients. God still continues to bless even undeserving people. Life is full of failure. And as I said earlier, if you're fortunate enough to have lived a long life and loved many people, then sadly for you, life may be full of funerals as well. So when you're hitting hard times, when bad things come along, like the death of a loved one, you have to remember that God is faithful and none of this will ever affect the promise that God has made of your life, not even your own personal failures. And one last point, friends. Although life is full of hardship, we must remember that God is faithful. And because of that, and that alone, that should motivate us to remain faithful to God. I think that's really the implication of what is going on here. It's illustrated in this story by Jacob returning to Bethel. God had watched over him while he was away, protected him, provided for him. And when he gets back to where he's supposed to be, God reminds him and reassures him of all the promises that he'd made. There's no getting away from it, friends. We're in a spiritual struggle. Life at times can be tough. So we dare not let our guard down for even just a minute. But we should always remember, always remember that God will remain faithful to us. And that should motivate us to remain faithful to him. Okay, friends, there we are. That's it for today. We'll close off chapter 36 and we'll be launching out on a new, sorry, we're closing off chapter 35 and we'll be launching out on chapter 36 tomorrow, which I think, believe is the final chapter covering the life and history of Jacob. Now, I'd like to remind you that you have access to loads more material and teaching resources uh, in various places. And there's links to all of them, my YouTube channel, my Facebook page, and importantly, my Patreon uh, uh, website, which is the place that if you want to, you can support this ministry by becoming a patron of it uh, for as little as two pounds a month. On there, you'll find resources and materials that don't appear anywhere else, but uh, discipleship courses, things like that, and talks I do in other environments, but also, it's the place where you can ensure that this work remains is remains freely available on all the platforms it is and we can continue to do so into the future but that's it for today i do hope you've enjoyed our time together and i do hope you're benefiting as much as i am from getting this idea of studying the word of god not just reading it but studying the word of god and making it part of the rhythm of your daily lives and if you are, that's great. Because then you'll be able to join back with me again tomorrow, won't you? But especially, I'd just like to close, before I close, say thank you. Thank you so much to each and every one of you who've chosen to go on this journey with me. I'm aware there are thousands of us now, and I'm so grateful to God for that. And I'm so grateful to you for that. 
I'm particularly grateful if you take the time to prayerfully uh, support this work because your prayerful support is the main encouragement to me but anyway that's it for today we're back here it'll be tomorrow for you maybe very soon for you also so i look forward to us getting face to face again on the bible project daily podcast bye-bye for now